Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. As we've alluded to on our other shows, this offseason, our Crack Rackets team attempted to speak with every Power 5 men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks. Fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed. A huge shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support with this series. Remember, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to express your thanks. With all of that said, we're ready to get to today's episode. So Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. Joining us on the podcast for the first time today is someone you may remember best as the player that clinched the 2007 NCAA championship for her Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. Of course, now we know her as the head coach of the Notre Dame women's tennis team. Welcome to the show, Coach Allison Silverio. Coach, happy holidays. How are you doing today? Thank you, Alex. Happy holidays. Uh, Wonderful to be here and doing great. No, it is great to have you. It's not every day I get to speak with someone who's clinched a national championship. That's a, I can only imagine, again, the goosebumps. I imagine even just hearing it, right? The goosebumps reemerge. I'm sure you remember the racket toss, all of it. Oh, yes. I can remember it like it was yesterday. And it's, uh, it was a magical night, obviously, but certainly took a lot more than just myself to uh, to get it done and Many of my teammates put me in a position, and I, we were able to capitalize. So Yeah, that's head coach speak. I don't need to hear any of that. Yeah, that's clearly the coaching tour has uh, worn you down. But, you know, with that in mind, obviously your head coach, I believe at the time, Brian Shelton, becomes the first yes. coach now this past year to, you know, win both a men's and women NCAA title. Coach Shelton never responds to my texts, and I think that's because I pester him too frequently, but when he wins that title, do you shoot him a text? Does he actually respond to you? Does he have a phone? He does. He does have a <laughs> phone. I was I was fortunate enough. I was there that evening uh, to watch uh, his his son clinch, clinch the national title, but watch the Gators clinch it, and it was again another magical, magical night, and it was uh, just a blessing to to be there and see see him do it again uh he's he's a legend <laughs> no i'm gonna ask him when we have him on the show what brought him more joy when allison clinched or when ben clinched because i feel like he gets asked the question so you got to watch your son clinch a national championship in every interview he does so i'm gonna spin it on him and just say but you got to watch allison clinch and not everyone gets to do that and so that will be my spin there but the reason i bring all of that up and believe me we'll dive into 07 georgia tech a little bit later but obviously awesome. for you you know it's a lifetime in college tennis and i'm always curious for someone uh who takes the career path that you do what is it about college tennis that you keep gravitating towards for me it's it's just been something that i've wanted to be a part of because you're you're a part of something bigger than yourself you're playing for something bigger than yourself you're coaching for something bigger than yourself you're able to represent uh fantastic universities and I was able to represent Georgia Tech as a student athlete and have been again very fortunate to represent some of the best universities in the country and now being at Notre Dame um, representing and it's just I love being able to give back and also be with student athletes for their journey during these during these four years and love the relationship that happens and being able to continue those after after their four years are are completed so uh it's an honor to be a part of a part of their journey and their growth i feel like when you look in the silverio closet too some pretty cool colors right it's not like all blue and gold you've got the the splash of oregon gear here and just like it's a nice diverse selection uh for you to pick which has to be fun but you know of course with all of that said we 
you know, start with 2021. And I'm curious, again, with all of the seasons you've had in college tennis, how weird was last fall? How difficult was that for you and your team? Just, you know, again, I, I feel like when you look at your roster, you know, there were no freshmen on the roster, but for all of the players to lose the 2020 season, everyone's a year younger than the, that says they're listed as. How difficult was that fall and just, you know, the start of the spring for your team? Yes, it, it was challenging uh, as it was for for everyone. And it was a memorable season, of course, that everyone is. But the challenges and, and the difficulties looked a little bit different than before, just because there were outside factors that that were completely out of our control. Uh, certainly some that were, of course, uh, but many, many that weren't. And I know we learned so much from last season and going through the fall, not being able to compete uh, was a, was a great training block for us, uh, not having the opportunity to compete, but um, certainly that was a change for us and and many other programs and, and then diving into the spring season. We were grateful to be competing. Um, That's number one. There was a lot of work that went into us being able to travel, have home matches. Um, so uh, a lot of gratitude for last season, but certainly a, a ton of a ton of lessons and and growth from the adversity. Yeah, no, absolutely. And obviously you bring, I think, all but one back to campus this season. I want to get into that. But of course, again, you again you're you were part of a national championship team as a player and looking at the roster felt like everyone in that singles lineup was ranked. And, you know, again, when you look at the top of college tennis, I don't think the top of college tennis has changed in the past 20 years. I think, you know, 30 years, whatever it is, as far back as you want to go, the best teams in college tennis have always been excellent. But you look at your team and, you know, the, the record you guys have last year in 11-13, I think that's just a little bit misleading. And I think that's indicative of the depth we now see in the sport. I feel like the teams ranked 30, 40, 50 would just absolutely crush their counterparts from the 2000s, from the 1990s. I'm curious, and listeners, you should see the smile uh, on Coach's face right now. <laughs> Would you agree with that assessment? And again, when you look at that 11-13 record, is that more indicative of just the depth that emerged in college tennis right now? A hundred percent. Our the depth in college tennis, I, I agree completely, is is great, and you just have superstar athletes, uh, bigger, faster, stronger. And, uh, it's, it's, it's fun to work with. I, I would love to see our 2007 team up against some of these teams, uh, cause we were certainly competitive and, and tough, but there, there are so many programs, so many conferences that not just, not just the depth in the lineups, but the depth in the conferences. Uh, so it's it's exciting because you you want to be playing the best of the best that's that's how you're going to get better and certainly for us we had we had our hands full last year you have your hands full every year in the ACC um and it was it, it was tough we took we took a lot on the chin uh we took some losses but again learning learning from all of those and we had moments where we were playing with not particularly our our fullest lineup, but every again every program had to deal with those those factors, and so you you do the best you you can, and you fight as hard as you can, and that's what we did, and uh, came up a little bit short last year, but again I think there was a ton of growth outside of the court, and a ton that's going to help propel us forward into this season. Mm-hmm. No, and, and you talk about the roster, and again, I want, I want to break down some of the players and talk about how you build into 2022, but you talk about the ACC, and I mean, just go look at last year's NCAA tournament. Duke got beat up at times in the ACC. They end up finding their way to the quarterfinals, and it's just like school after school after school. In what ways was it a burden to be in the ACC last year, and what ways may it have been a blessing for your team as you build towards 2022? Well, the, the blessings were certainly you, you had an opportunity every single match. And I think that's what is not not just last last season, but every season in the ACC, you're, you're going to have you're going to have an opportunity every every single match as a team. But but also as an individual, uh, whether it's singles or doubles. And we certainly had 
many of those last year as well. So just the opportunity again to compete against the best best players in the country's uh, best team in the country, uh, best coaches in the country. So we're we're playing the best on every uh, on every facet of of college college tennis and. So I see it all as, as opportunities, um, certainly <laughs> just being smart about managing our, our season and managing our matches, I, I think is, is important. But again, I, I come from uh, Brian Shelton and, and his <laughs> theories and, and philosophies, and he always pushed us to, to play against the best. And so uh, I, I certainly have taken a lot of my my thoughts and ideas from him. Uh, so I, I see it all as positive being in being in the strongest strongest conference. Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, looking at your team last season, you know, you had nine roster players. I think you know two of them. One played two singles matches. One played one. But it was really a, a six person team throughout the course of the year. Not to say that there weren't obviously contributions in practice and whatnot, but. You look at this year's roster size, obviously a little bit bigger, and part of that is you're fortunate to be able to bring back two of your seniors from last season. I don't want to say how difficult was it, because I don't like the framing of that, but screw it. How difficult was it last season? You know, again, really six players deep, and I know everyone's dealing with injuries, all of the nagging things, but, you know, what did you learn about your team through that adversity that you were able to turn to those six and say, hey, like, win or lose, we're riding you six all year long? Yes. Just their their resiliency, uh, their fight, and as cliche as that might be to say, you know, <laughs> we're the Fighting Irish, but but truly and honestly, fighting through the the adversities that so many of those were out of our out of our control. I mean, we had we had three weekends in a row where we were hit with COVID cases, um, and again. We know that the other programs were dealing with with similar issues, but to to have your players, your lineup players out, um, you know, it's it's next one up and next one out to to go out there and fight and do do the best you can. And I was just very impressed again with their resiliency and their ability to fight not every day in practice, uh, but fight in in every single match and and being out there for for one another and certainly didn't always, always go our way. But again, I think that that toughness and, and the challenges, the difficulties that we did have to face will, will show up this, uh, this season. Yeah, no, absolutely. And as we look towards this season, obviously how relieving was it just great to have a full summer, have a full fall, be able to compete with your team? What, you know, what were the principles you guys were trying to reestablish, I suppose, as you worked this off season? Uh, it was, it was amazing. I, I think our, our biggest, biggest piece that we wanted to solidify just because we, we did not have the opportunity last fall to compete was just bringing competitive excellence every, every single day. Um, and all that we did and uh, or in all that we do and just fight uh, again I know, I know I say that word but that's that's a word we use quite often and what it means to us and, and to our program and so solidifying those intangibles those pieces that you can control um, that you have complete control over and so those those were areas we were really solidifying and, and working on this fall and and even throughout the summer we have four freshmen that that came in so some new new blood this year and uh just building upon our our foundation and our culture to to bring that competitive excellence and that fight every every single day you mentioned earlier the idea of last fall being just a big training block and i know mm-hmm. you guys didn't have the opportunity to compete last fall how uh, this sounds so stupid, but how valuable is that competition to that training block? Because talking to some other Power Five coaches throughout this process, you know, some of them have complained. Maybe that's the one thing they would like to see incorporated into the college tennis schedules because it's such a rat race. Because you've got all these different fall competitions, and then you're right into the dual match season. There's no time to slow down. Then, of course, so many players have pro aspirations as well. It feels like there isn't really a true training block for, you know, coaches to get their hands on the players, work with them. Do you, again, do we do the fall most efficiently is really the question I'm leaning towards. Do you feel like 
the way the fall is currently comprised is the best way to help these players prepare for the dual match season? I I do think as of now the fall is is structured in a way that it is very productive for for our players to develop. I think those competitive opportunities are are very important and I I certainly understand the the training block that time to whether it's working on more um technical areas in your game or just just working through pieces in in your game where it might be nice to have a month or a few weeks where you can dive deep into that and and maybe not be too concerned with the upcoming match or the upcoming tournament uh so but i i do believe i I, i'm a firm believer in competing and so Last fall, we we did our best to incorporate whether it was an inner squad match or an an individual tournament that we played against ourselves. We we were looking to be innovative and in bringing different ways to compete. Um, so I do see value in the training block for sure. But I think the three month or three and a half month period where we went was was a little too long in in my opinion. No, it, it's completely fair, and you talk to enough SEC coaches, they'll talk on and on about the hidden duels they were able to play last fall and how beneficial that was in preparation for their teams. Uh, I'm curious if you think the hidden duel is something that will emerge more frequently in college tennis falls moving forward. Is that something, I know you guys played a bunch of invitations this fall. I don't know what the format of that was. And again, I've now figured out why we're hiding these duels. We're hiding them as competitive dates. I get that now. I think that's terrible from a branding perspective. We'll get there, I promise. Uh, But, you know, are hidden duels something you will incorporate more? Do you think the individual matches are more valuable? I'm sure it's a balance of the two, but where are you on that? I believe the hidden hidden duels are, are very valuable. And just from a player's perspective, I know our student athletes enjoy enjoy those hidden duels. Again, coming together as a team. And, and yes, the result is still individual uh, because of how we have to do that for in the fall. But being able, again, to, to play together and play as a team – I know our student athletes love that and to have that experience in the fall, uh, especially when you have a younger team, uh, it was very, very beneficial. And we did have a few tournaments. You're correct. They were, they were stated as invitationals, but the format was a hidden duel and it was, it was awesome to see, to see the battles that we, that we had, and, but being able to play out there together was, uh, was great, uh, great value. Mm-hmm. And you talked about, again, valuing competition, how important that is, particularly for a young team. Again, when you look at this roster, yeah, there are a couple of seniors in here, but, you know, one junior, everyone else, you know, two seniors, one junior, everyone else, sophomore and freshman. And for mm-hmm. so many of them, this is really their first full season of college tennis. Talk to me about the fall. Talk to me about the yeah. growth that you saw from your team. I'm not going to ask, are there any standouts? But again, who should I be keeping my eye out for? <laughs> sure. Uh, all of us. <laughs> all of us. <laughs> Good yeah. answer. Um, no, it, it was. You're right. We have eight eight underclassmen, uh, mm-hmm. four freshmen, four sophomores, and this was their first fall for for all of them. Not just from the tennis perspective, but their first fall as a student at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as all of the the academic pieces were back to normal, all of the social activities were we're back on campus. So uh, navigating different, uh, a lot of different, different uh, avenues this, this fall, but the growth was, was great to see from the beginning to the end, because again, we had, we had those competitive opportunities. And I would say where, where we played our first tournament, uh, which was regionals, our regionals was set up a bit, a bit differently this year. So, so we actually had two, two regional events. Uh, but from that regional event to our last invitational, which was down in Florida, uh, just a lot of growth from each of our players uh, from a mental standpoint, certainly a physical standpoint, and that that competitive piece again. And so I think, as I I know I've stated, but just the value of having those opportunities to compete against outside competition and and seeing different 
seeing different styles, seeing different teams that we may not see during the regular season. Mm -hmm. And I know, again, you took over the job 2018-2019 season. There are still maybe one or two players. You know, those seniors may not have been recruited by you, but and I know this is a personal question. Does it feel like, I don't want to say, is it your team now? But do you feel like you have established, again, it's year, what, two, three, four for you now on the helm. That's great math by me. There's that Michigan education. Um, yeah, I, I, either two, three. It's not two. It's not three. It's got to be four. There we four. go. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I just, I, it's churning. All right. That's the, you know, the Christmas goose is still getting out of the system. Yep. Um, but you know, does it feel, have you found your comfort zone? I'm curious, you know, again, because it is a young team. And so, you know, you, a young team means a lot of coaching, particularly early on. I'm curious how you, again, does it, does it feel like you guys have, you know, are you establishing the Silverio principles, whatever they may be? <laughs> well, we, uh, I, I certainly feel that this, this team has taken great ownership of our program and, and the goals and the values that we have. And it's, uh, yes, I understand that, that I'm, I'm the head coach and we have our assistant coaches as well. And certainly our support staff, but it's on all of us to make sure our, our culture and uh, the philosophy and, and the legacy that we want to leave is, is for everyone to be accountable to. And certainly when I came in, I was, I was accepted with open arms and I, I understand that transition can be difficult when a new head coach comes in and maybe changes some things. And that's not, not what you signed up for, but I can certainly say, say honestly that every player that I've had and been able to be a part of their journey here at Notre Dame has, has really accepted, accepted me and and um, has taken ownership and so uh, we're continuing to just build on every year and but th this team uh, with our four four sophomores and and four freshmen uh, and then our upperclassmen the value that they bring from the experience I think it's it's just been a a great uh, combination and sure. and the chemistry the chemistry that is built uh, that has been been built throughout this fall uh, is something something special and that's that's what excites me the most because talent talent is great and and of course we want to have the best best student athletes that we can but bringing all of those pieces together and working together I believe is is most important and uh, it was exciting to see how they they came together this fall. Yeah, no, it's got to be fun. Again, I feel like a young team's like a blank canvas, and you're just kind of like, all right, I'm going to throw some red on there. Let me throw some blue. Let's see how this sticks. We're going to try serving and volleying here. We're going to do two back there, you know, all these different things. Uh, with all that said, I, I do want to talk about recruiting, but for, I want to talk about Paige first and the year that she had last season. And obviously, you know, you guys lose one starter uh, from last year in Cameron Course, who was at the number one singles position. And you know, she was battling up top, but you look at Paige's season, you know, obviously she beat a lot of players she was supposed to beat, but played yep. so many three-set matches and so many, you know, the six and five matches, just a lot of close tennis throughout the course of the season. What growth did you see from her throughout the course of the year? And, you know, again, you, you don't have to confirm or deny, but you can confirm if you'd like. Um, is she ready to step up into that number one position as one of the upperclassmen on the team? Yes, she she most definitely is. And last year, well, just to uh, rewind, her freshman year obviously was COVID year, which was canceled halfway through. I think we were about halfway in, into the ACC season, but she was doing phenomenally as, <laughs> yeah. as a freshman as far as her win results uh, went. And last year, playing playing up in the two spot it's it's tough uh every spot again is is tough in the acc but it's it's leveling up as you get into those those top spots and she's right there from every <laughs> from every angle uh physically her game her style uh the way she carries herself so i know throughout this fall having again those competitive opportunities was very beneficial for Paige, again, very beneficial for our entire team. But I think the experience that Paige had last year and not quite being able to get over the hump with those 
quote unquote better players on paper. Um, she was able to find the mental piece that she understands she needs to bring into the spring and urgency is, is her, is, is the number one that she's really working at from a mental, mental standpoint as she enters each of these matches, because she knows playing in those top spots, um, you know, perhaps being at the number one spot on our team, everyone's, everyone's looking at you. Um, you know, your teammates are watching to see how you handle each situation um, in successes and, and in fa failures. So she understands that uh, she needs to be consistent day in and, and day out and have that, have that urgency. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And I'm not sure why. I Again, this will tell you more about me, I suppose. Whatever. We get to know each other. This is part of the fun here. But for some reason, I find myself watching a lot of Yashna at the end of last season because, oh, again, yes. I'm a nerd. I can't help it. I, you know, five and six singles, the freshman, I want to see. You know, I want, I'd rather be a year early than a year behind on someone. And it just felt like, again, for, because it is, it was such a young team last year, despite, you know, perhaps, I know you had a bunch of seniors, but uh, I felt like Yashna took a jump. Like, even if the results didn't see it, and I just felt like she was someone I could see making a big leap forward this season. What growth did you see from her this fall? Yeah, she she had a lot of growth this fall, yeah. particularly on on the mental side as well. She's she's very fun to watch. Uh, she's entertaining. <laughs> her talent is. is I think that's what it is. She is so captivating. It's just like yes. you watch her on the court, and you're like, "This is the match I'm locking in on." Yes, yeah. yes, and she's very very fun to work with. I mean, she has an ability to take in information and then and then do it. Um, and so she's, she's very coachable and that's always a joy to, to be with when you're, when you're out on the court, but she's someone that has, she came in January last, last year, which certainly January can always be a tough, tough time to enter college, especially as you're jumping right into season, but she also jumped into a COVID mm -hmm. season. So looking a little bit differently, but just the mental maturity that she's had and the growth that she's had throughout her time uh, has been, has been very exciting and her game has developed. I think the fitness side has also been a piece where she's, she's taken ownership of and she believes in and she continues to get stronger each day. And that's only going to help because of her, her style. Uh, the game is becoming so physical, but she's someone that we are very, very excited about and know that she can continue to, to grow and, and develop. And I agree with you. I think she's, she's due for a jump this season. Yeah, we're looking forward to seeing it for sure. And, you know, again, uh, talking about the freshmen you bring in for this year and I'm going to disagree with tennis recruiting. You were a top 25 class by Alex Gruskin's metrics, which oh, again, okay. you can put that on the resume if you'd like. Um, but you know, you, I will you, definitely put that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it'll, it'll quickly get crossed off and disqualify you for whatever you're applying for. But uh, you know, talk to me about the freshmen you bring in and just again, getting them to buy in to your program this fall. Yes. Well, we were, we were fortunate because throughout Throughout COVID, we had uh, really no option besides Zoom calls and FaceTimes, and yeah. so there was there was a lot of communication happening. Not that we wouldn't do that uh, in prior years, but there's there's more opportunity to go and and see them play, um, and we didn't quite have those opportunities during during COVID once once things were shut down. So. I think on a, a personal level, all of our four freshmen that, that came in just bought into our culture and who we're trying to be as a team. And uh, they, they each have brought a great, great energy and they, they each have different styles. Um, they each bring different strengths and it's, it's been a blast to to see how they've connected with one another and the relationships that they're forming with their teammates and then just the relationships that we're we're forming with them too so um i i can go into each each one specifically too i, I i'm sorry if i didn't answer no that. no no, no. <laughs> I, i'm just assuming they're all excellent 
It would be my, uh, yeah, that's just the overwhelming assumption always until yes. I've proven otherwise. But I'm curious, you sort of mentioned it, for lack of a better term, how shit was it recruiting via Zoom, recruiting via live stream? How difficult does that make your job? Like, everyone looks good on a live stream, in my opinion. Sure. And so, like, I don't even know how you can find the nuances in players' game. How difficult did that make the entire recruiting process? Sure. It it was it was tough. Um, really, two... two two of the four players that we recruited uh, for this, for this class were, were done via zoom <laughs> and uh, Carrie, Carrie Beckman and Kate Belia were two players that we were able to see uh, compete before multiple times. Uh, Nibby I had seen when she was much younger. Yeah. Uh, you but... recruited the 12 year old version of her, not yes, the 17 yes. year old version. <laughs> yes. So, uh, and then Olivia, well, Maria, Olivia, we, we call her Ollie. Yeah. <laughs> That's her nickname. But uh, she, we obviously were able to see some some video as as well. But just a, a ton of conversations with coaches, with parents, uh, really seeing who their support group was and, and getting to know them as well since we weren't able to have the opportunity to be at a tournament or do a home visit and see how they're acting and, and reacting to different different situations yeah so and, trying trying to be as innovative as as we could and creative as we could on on zooms and on facetimes so no and um, no i'm curious with that in mind and by the way i'm sure outside of this if you never had to zoom again you'd probably be fine with it you're like <laughs> no more zooms uh let's do in-person <laughs> meetings but from a recruiting standpoint, and I think obviously given how early you are in your tenure, which we've established, it's year number four, just for those yes. who are curious. Um, in recruiting, I'm curious how you balance recruiting the four-year players, the players who, you know, coming into college, you can get your hands on versus knowing, and right now in particular, given the plethora of extra eligibility for the COVID students, that you can go look at the transfer portal and say, hey, I can go find a four. I can go find a five that I can need in a one-year pinch. And I know, obviously, I'm sure at Notre Dame, academically, it gets a little bit more tricky. But how do you balance those two things in shaping your roster, recruiting the four-year players versus knowing who's out there on the transfer portal? Yes, we've been we've been very fortunate and I believe very successful in, in our recruiting process, <laughs> for, for better or worse, but... Uh, we've, we've gone the route more of taking the, the four year, four year commitments. Um, and not that we won't, won't look at the transfer portal or, or look at opportunities there, but where we are now as a program and my, my thoughts on continuing to put us in the best positions possible, bringing someone in and being able to mold them. And as you said earlier, I believe a blank canvas, I thought described it, described it great is just, uh, it's, it's important to what we're, what we're doing here at Notre Dame. And so uh, again, if it's, if it's the right fit, if it's the right person that we believe will enhance our culture and enhance our program, most definitely we'll look at we'll look at the transfer portal but i i believe as we've gone these past few years we've we've had great success in in bringing in the four year four year recruit four year mm -hmm. commit yeah no absolutely and you know again there are a lot of former players who are now college coaches and you know i always like asking your opinion on these things i think that and I think it was Coach Cohen over at Oklahoma who mentioned in an interview, you can all hear on the Cracked Interviews podcast, plug, plug, I apologize. But, you know, she mentioned that tennis has always had a higher rate of transferring than other college sports. And I'm just going to take her word on it. I'm pretty sure that, you know, that that's true. Um, that said, it does feel like in the past really two seasons, three seasons, the transfer portal and the act of transferring has been destigmatized. It's no longer it's a bum program, it's a bum coach, it's a bum player. Sometimes, just we've learned, fits don't work. I am curious, though, is that decent? I, I mean, I'm sure it's a little bit of both, but where you're on, uh, where you less uh, lie on this issue, is that a good thing or a bad thing for college tennis? I'm sure there are times when you're like, man, lack of a better term, f*** you, Coach Shelton. I'm done with you. Like, this is over. I'm ready to leave. At the same time, I'm sure playing through that adversity, staying tough, helped make you the person you are today. And so I'm curious. If you think the 
availability, the destigmatization, is that a good thing or a bad thing for college tennis? Well, Alex, I never said that just to be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, just teasing. But uh, I, I do think there is something to be said to work through adversity and work through some failures. The grass is not always greener, and I understand there are there are special circumstances for sure. This this being an is an example where perhaps your program doesn't have this the spot for you for that that fifth year that extra year. Um, so I, I understand there are special special circumstances or unique circumstances where it may be best to to move on. But I do believe that there's something to be said to be able to work through work through that adversity, work with your coach, have the conversation talk with your teammates when you're when you're having issues using using your support staff and leaning on the different resources that you that you have uh, and I know I understand that maybe not every program has has all the resources that that others do we're, we're very fortunate with <laughs> with the resources we have here at, at Notre Dame but I, I do think there's something very powerful and invaluable to work through work through adversity and, and work through some uncomfortable feelings uh, because you're, you're going to come up against that in life in everything that you do. And whether that's continuing on in a professional tennis career or going to your next step uh, professionally in another, another field, there's going to be uncomfortable feelings. Uh, you're going to be uncomfortable and, the more you can work through that now and have experience with that now, the better, the better I feel you'll be. So uh, not to dance, dance around the question, but I, I do think we have to be careful with what's going on in the transfer portal. Yeah, no, I think that's completely, I think it's a fair assessment. Now at the same time, like I do like the accountability aspect. Coaches have to be better because players talk and like everyone knows, you know, I like this school. I don't like this school, whatever, whatever it may be at the same time. Yeah. No one likes a quitter. Um, and so not saying that every transfer is quitting, but you know, again, I, I totally, I I'd echo your sentiment as well. With that in mind, you talk about the resources. One of my big projects of why I wanted to do this power five series is I think far too many players, coaches, parents, whomever it may be, haven't heard your voice, haven't heard the pitch. And so, Coach Silverio, give me the pitch. Why should I come to Notre Dame? Why should I join the Fighting Irish? Sure. I love it. Well, for us, we say Notre Dame is not simply a place you come to, but but a place you really go from. And I, I have to say, I, I stole that from one of my good friends uh, that I've gotten to know since I've, I've been here. He's, he's a professor at Notre Dame. And... Uh, he took it from Father Gregory Boyle, so I have to give the credit where where credits <laughs> due. But it's it's something we do say and talk about in our in our recruiting because we believe Notre Dame is is really setting a, a lifelong foundation for for our student athletes and and for our young ladies that come through academically, athletically professionally, socially, uh, building, building leaders and, and champions on and off the court to, to then be a force for good when you move, move to your next stage in life. And so Notre Dame is going to be a place where you will be a part of the community forever uh, and the networking and, again, the development that will happen throughout your four years will carry carry through for for the rest of your life and and we want to see you become the greatest the greatest athlete and the greatest the greatest person uh that you can be to be to be a force for good i love it as a wolverine i still have my thoughts and my feelings but you know i'll, I'll keep them uh to the side for now but if i, I don't know i know you're not allowed to talk about i don't really know what the rules are but if the 2022 class is any indication clearly uh, again, people are buying into what you guys are building at Notre Dame. Now, you know, with all of that in mind, I, I mentioned this beforehand, I want to pick your brain about some of the big picture things in college tennis as well. And, you know, one of them, I think we, we can just start with the basic, you know, 
I, I suppose, you know, how do we grow the sport moving forward? Because we talked about it earlier. I think the depth in college tennis has, is better than it has ever been. And I do think, you know, again, the talent is better than it's ever been. I think the product is at an amazing point right now. That said, I am curious, you know, for college tennis in order to grow, I'm curious where you are at this. Is it a format problem or is it a marketing problem? And not to criticize the ITA or any individuals because mm-hmm. they are obviously doing all that they can. But in order to grow the sport, it, do we need to keep playing with the format or do we need to reimagine how we're marketing the game? I think there's always opportunity for growth, right? And sure. and change. We've changed the format many times. Yes. Uh, when when I was in college, we still were playing. We were still playing at. I honestly believe the no ad has has brought an excitement to the game and an excitement to the match. And there may be other creative ideas that that can continue to bring that excitement because, as you mentioned, we do have a great product. Collegiate tennis is unique. Again, we have some of the best players in the in the country in the world that are competing on the biggest stages uh, for their, for their universities and using that, using those strong brands uh, that we have to keep propelling tennis and propelling college tennis in, in the right direction. So uh, of course, marketing and, and branding, we can always continue to, to do better and, and improve. And I, I certainly don't have, don't have all, all the answers and uh, not as a creative mind as that's, that's for others uh, to, to, to figure out. But uh, I think we, we have a great, a great product and can, no, I, I, can I work to work to do better. And if that's format, let's, let's try it. Um, so. No, I love all those things. <laughs> and I, I want to get to the format side, but I, just, you know, again, with the incorporation of NIL, name, image, likeness, and players being able to capitalize on that, I do think that will impact recruiting moving forward once we figure out what the rules actually are. Um, but, you know, in terms of how to, and this has just been one of my pet peeves, I'm just, you know, pet theories, I'm just going to push it on every coach possible until I get, you know, slapped around enough on it. Um, but one of my things would be, like, for me, it's all about local buy-in. How do you get people to come out to your matches? Well, you go to the local clubs, you find the ones, you know, within 20 minutes, 30 minutes of South Bend, and you're like, hey, all of you need to come to the Notre Dame matches. How do you get them to do that? For me, the mechanism is NIL, and the mechanism is just like, say, you know, again, and I'm curious from a player's perspective, from a coach's perspective, what you think of this, but nowadays, you know, if I'm a head coach, I'm telling my, you know, I'm going to the local clubs and say, hey, I need a fund of X amount of dollars, and I'm going to disperse that money amongst my team. And every week or biweekly, whatever it is, one member of my team is going to go to your local clinics and is going to hit in with your eight-year-olds or is going to hit in with your 12-year-olds, your 15-year-olds, whatever it's going to be. Because to me, that is how you get the buy-in. That is how you get, you know, these players are will adore these college athletes and they will want to emulate them and they will want to follow them. They'll say, Mom, can we please, please, please go to the Notre Dame match because I got to hit with, you know, Yashna or whomever it may be as an athlete. As a student, you know, as an athlete, as a coach, is that a feasible solution? Is that something that's within the realm of possibility for college tennis? Most definitely. I, I think anytime incorporating the community is it's going to grow, grow your product, grow your program. And ultimately, whenever, whenever we've outreached to the community, we we always get a phenomenal response and uh, that's a very creative idea <laughs> that, that you have and, and love that. And, but anytime that we can incorporate the community, it just, it, it does make a difference because hopefully our student athletes are able to inspire that, that younger generation. And uh, for, for our town and South Bend, Indiana, our student athletes are, are superstars to some, some of the younger, younger uh, generations. So uh, certainly, certainly using that and, uh, is. Yeah, no, I, I guess for me, great. it would just be, again, is that feasible? Like if you, as a coach, would you feel comfortable telling your players? And I mean, again, the money aside, if NIL is not a thing, is there, is there time in a student athlete's life at Notre Dame to say, Hey, 
can you give me two hours every fourth Wednesday? Like, is that too much of an ask from the players? Because I do think part of it comes down to we are going to have to ask the players to commit even more. And like that to me is where, you know, you start to get a little reticent. You're just like, "Eh, I'm not sure if that's, if that's even feasible. Sure. Sure. It, it would be, again, I think you would have to get creative with, with the time management and the time, time demands of, of the student athlete and for the student athlete. But that's where it's all about the money. Yeah, my words, not yours. My words, not yours. Well, being able to give to give back, and um, again, being able to inspire a younger, the younger generation, and again, it bring the community community in. I see as all as all positives, and so maybe there's something with taking taking a little bit away somewhere else, but mm-hmm. finding finding those opportunities where we can engage the community is very important. No, I love it. What, and you mentioned it. No ad scoring thrown on you, like the, I, I, because obviously the sudden death aspect, thrilling. Does it compromise yes. development or no? I, I don't believe so. If anything, I think it it enhances on knowing and, and experiencing those those important points mm-hmm. or those pressure pressure points, and every every point is important, right? We want to value <laughs> we want to value every point, but. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're up 30 love, when you're up 30, 15, 40, 30, those points become a little bit more, (laughs) a little bit more valuable, uh, and how you're, how you're approaching those points, what you're thinking, what you're telling yourself. Uh, I think it's great for the development. Yeah, I agree. Is the eight hour rule, which I mean, right now you're in a dead period. And Mm -hmm. again, stupidest thing in the world let's put a dead period right before the season starts every coach is going to love that that's great for the game like come on we're better than that but I'm curious you know again I know 20 hour weeks during the season is one thing but the eight hour rule right now and you know the 25 competitive dates is that reflective of the modern demands required to succeed at this level of tennis you know how frequently are you in a position where they'll say coach I work with you for an hour and you're like sorry you've already had your floor on court I can't That's that's where I would love to see more flexibility in place. Uh, certainly, if a if a student athlete is is asking for, coach, I want to get better. Coach, can we work on these things? And and we have to say no at certain times. And again, I I understand why the rules are in place, and I know I know there may be some some coaches that that have abused abused that or made their student athletes feel pressured uh, to do voluntary mandatory voluntary practice <laughs> but I, I I think we need to we need to be more more flexible uh, in those periods because when you have student athletes that that want to develop you you want to be out on the court with them mm-hmm. uh, so, I do think that I think the 25 dates, uh, of course, I would always love to be able to compete more. So if we were given more dates, (laughs) that would be that would be great. Um, But the the time demands, I I feel we're able to manage the 20 hours very well. And Mm -hmm. I I would love to see if we could get some training during this time, right, right before season, just just to help with the preparation. Uh, And I think for our student athletes to feel to feel confident to feel ready uh, and again not that not that being being at home and, and having that time to to refresh that's very important too but if we were able to get a little bit of time back before the season started that would that would be great this is not a trick question i promise did okay. you know your compliance officer at georgia tech because I guarantee you every single kid on the Notre Dame roster now has met the compliance officer, knows where the compliance building is, and could say, hey, let's make eye contact, compliance officer. I am volunteering for this. Like, this is not, co- you know, coach demanding this of me. You And they can know that versus, like, back then where it's like, where's the compliance building? What is that? Like, I feel like there is a, a tangible difference. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I would agree. Yeah. I, w- I would agree. Is that a no idea where the compliance office was at Georgia Tech? Could you locate the building if you needed to? 
I did. I did know. I I actually did know, but I I didn't. Yeah, that's because you're. No that's why you're a coach. Yeah, exactly. That's why you're a leader. It makes sense. Um. All right. Some fun, funky format stuff for you. And again, jumping around here a little bit. Um. I think simultaneous start might be the next big development in college tennis because just to me, and one coach framed it this way. I forget who it was. Apologies, but credit to them. Where. The first set you're creating a permission of singles, you're creating a permission structure for fans to leave because you have the most exciting 40 minutes in all of college tennis, in all of tennis period in the doubles point. It's Russian roulette. You never know what's going to happen. Every point matters. And then you get to the first set of singles. And like, yeah, the hardcores like me will go watch Yashina and be like, hmm, what do we have here? But for a lot of other people, it's like 4-1. Like, who cares? Not, nothing's being decided right now. That is a concern of mine. I'm curious if you feel that lull as well. Well, I do believe that doubles is one of the most exciting aspects yeah. of of the dual match. And not just from a fan ex, uh, perspective, but also the players. The yeah. players love love playing doubles. And it is exciting. It's it's quick. It's fast. It's it's athletic. And obviously singles, singles is too. But um, it would be interesting, this, this simultaneous format, just just thinking from a development development standpoint you have players now that that are maybe only playing singles or maybe only playing doubles and how does that how does that correlate into into their development as as players but it it would certainly make for an exciting <laughs> exciting match experience for the fans well this brings me to point number 2 substitutions now oh. part a I don't think a match should ever end on an injury withdrawal. Like, to me, that is the dumbest thing in the world. We have players sitting right there. Let them come in. Let them finish the match. Whatever happens, happens. That's the obvious substitution rule. But more broadly, every other sport has it. Like, imagine, you know, you finish the doubles match. You're subbing into court one. Or imagine how many times you've been sitting there and been like, I should not have played that person at court number six. I wish I could pull them. Like, again... I feel like it, a substitution doesn't compromise development. I feel like if anything, you're saying, hey, you better give me 100% effort from ball number one or I'm yanking you. Is substitution something you'd be open to? I would be open to it. I, I like would. It. I would be open to it. I, I think it's, again, it's creative. It's it's innovative. Um, I know we're, we're unique and different than other say team sports, a, a football or a basketball or a volleyball where that's just worked into, into their framework. But as you put, yes, the urgency of every single point, I have to, I have to be in there. I, I could see that as also helping with development. Mm-hmm. And imagine like you get the scoreboard glow- going, you turn off the musics at the changeover. The closer is coming in. We're bringing in our, it's 5-4. We know, you know who you are. You're bringing in the closer. Serve it out. Let's rock and roll. Four bombs. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) exactly. Say no more. Like, I'm in. And so uh, I think that could be a bunch of fun. At the same time, you're right. Like, I do worry uh, simultaneous start these sorts of things. You know, so many coaches have expressed, once you give the NCAA a little bit of leeway and you give them something to take away, they're never going to give it back, right? And so that is definitely a concern i have uh that said i feel like the fall is the perfect time to experiment with these sorts of things so like you yes. know if you guys are drawn up hidden duels and you want to get funky and god listeners are probably so sick of hearing this but clearly i'm in desperate need of a girlfriend because these are the ideas you know this is what i do with my free time is think of these ideas but i'm just saying i've got a couple other wrinkles i'd throw in there uh, in case you're in case you're looking for them um all right you know, this is always a hot topic, and I'm sure you, you know, dating back to your playing days, have thought about this. When should the NCAA individuals be played? Oh, this is a this is a hot topic right now. <laughs> yeah. um, I I am still in in the belief. I, I'd love to see it stay where it is, um, and and stay at the after the NCAA team team event and. Maybe, maybe my thoughts would change on that. Uh, I'm not sure I've, I've heard, a, I guess, an argument yet where moving it to the fall makes, I, I understand some of the reasonings, of course, uh, but in my opinion, I, I still believe after the, the team event is, is where it needs to be. It, so. It's fair. 
I am targeting the second week of the U.S. Open. If I accomplish nothing else in my career, it's going to be to get the NCAA tournament the second week of the U.S. Open. Because, you know, you talk about the marketing component, offering the perfect platform, and I know college tennis is an international sport now, but if the biggest burden of promoting that is going to fall on the USDA, why wouldn't you highlight it and market it at your biggest property? And just, you know, again, I 0.1% of athletic departments would sponsor a senior come back and play uh, you know a fall event after they have graduated that said mm-hmm. you know again i think by doing it in the fall summer circuit matches matter and you know all the you could just it's a way to get excited for the season from the start i also would switch to a 12 month rule well we'll get to the rankings more specifically but i would switch to the 12 month ranking system to where you know every other aspect in tennis it's 12 months and fine when a senior graduates you can take them off the rankings but like we're in a position right now where Emma Navarro is not ranked. You know, Peyton Stearns is not. It's just like, what are we doing here? Um, I don't know. So that would be my argument number one. Is that convincing if they could get it at the U.S. Open week two? Would you, open, would you be like, huh, now we're talking. That, that is interesting. That is <laughs> yeah. interesting. Yeah. Uh, definitely, definitely a, a huge platform. And so... What about the 12-month ranking system? Is that something you think about? Just Because, again, I just feel like... With all due respect to the ITA, what are the December rankings for? Like, come mm-hmm. on. It's just like they're just not the most accurate thing. And it's just like maybe if you incorporate TRs or pro results, all of these different things. But to me, it's just I think a 12-month system is the way to go. Mm-hmm. The consistency. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, again, these are, these are the things I think about in my free time, in case you were curious. Um, That's great. Yes. Should, the not, should a non-American winner of the NCAAs get a wild card into the Open? Oh, I know it's tough. I mean, mm. to me, so I get it. It's a USTA event, US <laughs> players, all these things. My thing is, again, if it's promoting the sport, Paul Jubb, Stella Perez, Somariba, they are just as good advocates for college tennis as Sam Riffis yeah. and Emma Navarro yeah. were. So, like to me, that's that's where it comes down to. And it's like I don't want to not reward them at the expense of others. At the same time, like I do get the other side of the argument. Yes. No, that's Can we get more wild cards? Yeah. <laughs> well, so this gets to the no, whole thing. In my snow, but like you say that, but to me, getting back to the marketing piece, like to really double down on college tennis. Top 5 players at the end of each season. Congratulations. Not only do you get 3 wild cards, you're all playing world team tennis because that's how we're going to promote it across brand, across sports and like I think to your broader point, yes. Like, let's get more wild cards. Let's ask. Yes. Come on, you're all listening. You want to give out wild cards, tournament entities that are listening to this. Um, yeah. Like, I guess otherwise, you're right. Like, does it really matter? Right. Yeah. But yeah. I, I do see your point. I mean, promoting college tennis and putting our best players. Mm-hmm. I, I see. I, I understand that also. Mm-hmm. No. So that that's half the fun again for all of these things. Um, all right, last few questions for you, I promise. And, you know, to get back to the Irish here, your season, you guys elected to play the national indoors this year. Now, you mentioned yeah. earlier you come from the Brian Shelton School of Thought. I want to play the best. To be the best, you got to beat the best. Is that what comes down to that decision? Because obviously you guys are going over to Pepperdine, and, yeah, they're pretty freaking good this year. But them, yes, Colorado, Columbia, it's an interesting region. Uh, and, and, you know, you look through the rest of your schedule this year as well, and you, you've already played, you know, Michigan invite, Northwestern invite. I know there's another Michigan invite early in the season. You're playing Kentucky, MSU, Yale, you know, all, all these Big Ten schools as well. What leads to that scheduling decision? Well, again, yeah. uh, Coach Shelton, School of Thought, uh, just always, always playing the best and, and giving our, our team the most opportunities in season. And we're excited about going out to Pepperdine for four wonderful uh, competitive teams that are going to be there. It's it's going to be a great region. And yes, Pepperdine is is stacked this year. And uh but we have Colorado first. So uh, we were able to see them this fall and it was, it was an exciting, exciting hidden duel match for us. And so it'll be fun to see them again uh, in kickoff weekend. And uh, if the, if we battle and, and we fight how, how I know we can, it would be a great opportunity to, to play, you know, to play for an opportunity to get into indoors the second day. But 
the the stronger I believe the stronger teams we play, the the better we're we're going to be. I would be terrified of playing Anthony because I'd feel so bad if I beat his team. I'd be like, "You're the nicest human in the world, and I don't want to beat you. Like I want you on my side." Um, and so, yeah, that no, that's it, it's a great. fun draw. I'm curious: is the 500 rule something you think about? I look like you know, doubleheader February 6th, Yale mm-hmm. and Northern Illinois, and you know, I'm sure there's still you know, doubleheader January 22nd, Michigan State Bowling Green. Now that's early in the season as well, and there's something to just getting matches early. But is the 500 rule something you think about? And would you like to see it go away permanently? I I, I do think about it. Uh, we certainly think about that as a as a coaching staff, uh, and when we're talking about scheduling and and working working our schedule each each season. But it was nice to not have the five hundred rule last year. Um, <laughs> and I'm I understand. All the other all the other sports have that, or most of the NCAA sports have that, uh, and the NCAA is keeping wanting to keep that consistency. But again, having the opportunities to compete against the best teams, um, I think, are are important. And and ultimately, the the you, you want to put the best teams into the NCAA tournament uh, and into the you know the final <laughs> the final dance. So. Uh, and some of those teams, it's tough when you're when you're playing a tough schedule. There's going to be matches that that don't go your way. There's going to be heartbreaker four three matches uh, on on both both ends. So the the 500 rule is is I wouldn't be sad if it went away. <laughs> no, that that's good to know. Um, all right, more. I mean, I'm sure the national championship was more enjoyable, more pressure on the line for you when you clinched Fresno State or when you clinched in the championship. Well, oh my goodness, <laughs> this is a tough one. This is a tough one. It they was, say it I'm was, the Barbara Walters of college tennis. Yeah, so, I love uh, it. I love it. Um, so Fresno State, I will say. I still I still remember that match clearly and uh, I remember you know I remember us talking as a team before and just that we had not gotten past the round of 16 yet in the NCAA tournament and Fresno came out and I mean threw everything everything at us and I I just remember I remember our conversations as a team as we have to do, you know, we have to do everything and fight as hard and, and battle as hard as we can to get past, you know, we were taking it one match as a t- at a time. And um, so I would say from just the, the mental pressure of getting over that hump, uh, that may have been a, a little, a little bit more honestly in the, in the championship match, I can I can probably count on one one hand how many times I was in the zone as they like <laughs> like to call it and God yeah. was very good good to me that that <laughs> evening I I was in the zone so yeah. no. I wasn't thinking about anything else except that little little ball <laughs> no. I love it all right better Amanda Craddock or McDowell oh my goodness well. Craddock was my doubles partner, uh, and we did we did very well. But Amanda uh, McDowell was just—I mean, she was lights out at the NCAA tournament. I mean, she was winning matches in in thirty minutes. Um, she was a point on the board for us. She was a catalyst for us, uh, and then obviously went on to have a great great run her sophomore year, winning the in, individual NCAA uh, tournament. So. My goodness! That's, Did you know, that's guys know by the end of the year it was like, oh man, she's good. Yeah, like you mentioned at the NCA stretch where it's just like things started clicking for her slowly. Oh yes. Yeah, oh, I can. Yeah. I gotta imagine just, that's so fun. It was. It was. Yeah. Our team was. You know, we were we were a competitive team, a tough team. We had a lot of love and respect for one another. We didn't like each other all the time, <laughs> but I think that you have to have some of that tension and. Uh, but we, we had the utmost respect for each other. And of course, for Brian, coach Shelton and our coaches. And, uh, it was, it was a fun year. Yeah. I like it. Well, last two questions for you. Um, 
you know, when fans watch your team compete this season, what do you want the takeaway to be? I, I definitely, we want the takeaway to be that they saw a team that, that fights for one another, um, that's fearless out there, uh, that plays with integrity, that plays with grit, uh, that's certainly hungry <laughs> to, to be out there and to be competing and, and to be doing our best and, and a team that's together. Uh, and if we're able to bring, if we're able to bring those components to the court every time and, and bring our competitive excellence, then that's what I hope every, every fan's able to, to take away and, and inspires them to, to be a tennis uh, enthusiast. Yeah, I love it. Well, then last question. This is the most important question I've a- I will ask you probably ever. This might be the <laughs> toughest interview question you're going to get as well in your career. Um, and that's, you know, I've been to the Notre Dame facilities, and I think it's a beautiful facility. I think there's a lot to love about it. That said, when you look up and you see a photo of 21-year-old Ryan Satchery, do you ever look to him and say, man, what happened? Like, you used to be so handsome. What went wrong? <laughs> he has the orange hair. Did he tell you the story? <laughs> I did hear the story. He's got a great story about that picture. It's It's... I love it's it's awesome. Yeah. Now, Do you guys ever uh, ask him like, "Hey, if we both make round of sixteen, we're bringing back the orange hair." We could both put sun in <laughs> in our hair and see see how it <laughs> see how it works out. I already I already do a little bit of highlighting, Alex. So maybe it will <laughs> maybe no. it will just enhance what I already have. I think it's a great look for everyone, regardless. Um, yeah, because I, I look at it, and I'm just like, "What happened?" I'm just like, "You were a ginger." I'm like, what went wrong here? Um, and so, uh, no, it's always delightful. But, Coach, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Obviously, happy holidays to you and your family, you and the team, and wishing you guys all success, health, and obviously uh, luck throughout the course of the 2022 season. Thank you, Alex. Same to you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Take care, Coach. <laughs> Take care.